Good morning from Zurich. You're listening to Monocle on Sunday with me, Tyler Brule. Coming up on today's program, Emily Isahau is here, also Christoph Munger. Uh, they've both got many stories to look at, but Emily, we'll start with you. Uh, of course, it's been a very big weekend in news, certainly in France, other corners of the world as well. What do you have for us this morning? Um, Europe swings right, writes the political this week. So let, we'll talk about that and take it to Finland as well, where the two-week-old government has had its uh, first crisis already. Very good. Also, we're going to be heading for the latest from Tokyo. Hello, I'm Fiona Wilson, Monocle's Tokyo correspondent. I'll be bringing you the latest news from Japan. And of course, we will be heading to France a little bit later in the program. And also, it's Zurifest week as well, Switzerland's biggest folk festival. What does that mean? We'll find out. It's the 2nd of July, 2023, live from Zurich. This is Monocle on Sunday. And good morning from Zurich, as you might have heard if you're just tuning in a little bit earlier. It's a bit of a it's a bit of a grey Sunday morning, uh, but it's going to pick up. I think it's certainly perky uh, in the the, the curtains beyond uh, where we're uh, standing this morning uh, to get this uh, show on the road. Very happy to see uh, Christoph Munger is here uh, from the Tagus Anzeiger, of course, running all of their foreign coverage for the paper. You've got uh, a very very busy green highlighter when I look at uh, <laughs> <laughs> at the stories that you've got lined up. Uh, Good morning, by the way. Good morning, Tyler. Uh, thanks uh, for having me. Um, it, it's actually a story by our competitor, the NZZ uh, um, Sonntag, that focuses on population growth in Switzerland, which is actually uh, quite a big t- topic at the moment, and it's even getting bigger, uh, of course, because we are uh, in uh, election year, and it's, it's some sort of a dispute between politicians, right-wing politicians in particular, and uh, the economy. Uh, and uh, it, I mean, we have now 8.8 million people in, in Switzerland, and uh, that's a growth of 20% uh, for the last uh, 20 years. And that's quite a, a topic. Uh, so uh, we have some problems with, with, let's say, infrastructure. The schools are overcrowded, not, not enough teachers are there. Then the trains are overcrowded. The infrastructure is a bit under pressure and uh, also some people say that the crime rate uh, is also uh, rising because mm. of that but i mean that's disputed on the other hand that's that's the, 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 the those are the arguments of the right-wing uh, politicians in switzerland on the other hand uh, we have the economy economy and uh, they are big big problems because there are not enough people to do the job mm. in particular on construction sites also in in, in restaurants uh, we have the problems even in alpine restaurants uh, they have to to move to to switch to self service uh, systems and so on and uh, so uh, we have these discussions on the one hand uh, not enough people to to support uh, our economy on the other hand, uh, others say we have too many people in Switzerland. Uh, we are moving very fast towards uh, 9.5 or even 10 million in Switzerland. And that, of course, uh, is a very important um, uh, issue in this forthcoming election. Indeed. Um, Emily is also uh, here uh, as well. Of course, you heard him at the top of the program. Program Coordinator for Peace Mediation at Eteha here in Zurich. Good morning. Very nice to see you. Good morning, Tyler. Tell, uh, tell us, I mean, you also set us up in the menu for the program, of course, uh, a bit of a swing to the right. And as Christopher was saying, this is, it's a story here. Of course, we're going to be going to to talk to um, the political analyst, uh, France Biedemann, uh, a little bit later uh, as well in, in Paris, uh, because you know, much of these uh, themes are very interconnected because obviously the topic in Switzerland right now, you know, everyone says, yes, uh, there is a need you know, for, for more migration. Uh, it comes back to the Swiss topic. Of course, many countries looking to Switzerland 
Switzerland, um, who are seen as, you know, depending where you sit, but a country which does a very good job at integrating people. Um, but of course, people uh, will look nervously across the border, a very near, a shared border to France and say, you know, is this also the direction that, that this country could be heading to as well? And you see some of the scaremongering in the papers already. Uh, no, absolutely. And I mean, you uh, have seen a swing to the right from Italy to Greece, potentially in Spain, potentially in Slovakia, um, looking ahead. So absolutely, there's a shift. And even in Germany, I think it's the after the alternative to Germany is outpolling the Social Democrats, currently having had also their first electoral victory um, in a local um, election not too recently um, ago. Uh, but in Finland, indeed, uh, it's a conversation as well. Um, we've had our own government crisis um, earlier this week. It's a two-week-old government uh, headed by Petri Orbo from the National Coalition Party um, and the Minister for Economic Affairs, Wilhelm Junila, um, he made or a lot of his earlier comments, um, some of which were related to um, the Nazis, um, swastikas, um, even promoting abortions potentially in Africa as a way to curb uh, population growth. So very ludicrous comments came to the surface now that he was um, a minister and in power. Um, so he had a vote of confidence earlier um, this week that he survived just barely, um, but the vote of confidence broke the ranks of the four-party coalition. So the Swedish um, uh, People's Party decided to vote against him. But he nonetheless survived, but more uh, scandals started surfacing. And on Friday, he himself chose to resign. It was not at the request of the prime minister, nor at the request of his own party leader. Um, so this uh, actually has been covered quite broadly um, by Süddeutsche Zeitung and Le Monde, linking it a bit to this broader trend of far-right parties and, and to what extent should they be included in government or not, related to some of the issues um, that Christoph just uh, mentioned. And I think the jury is still out there. Uh, what might be the best strategy in, in the Finnish context? Um, the strategy has perhaps been uh, from the centre-right parties um, to include the more far-right parties in government in the hopes that perhaps uh, once they have political power, they would have to become a bit more moderate and, and kind of curb down some of their more populist statements. That hasn't necessarily happened thus far, but we'll see what will happen. Süddeutsche Zeitung um, argues that um, similar um, trends are um, can be seen in Sweden, and they argue that actually uh, kind of closing up to the far right is perhaps legitimizing um, uh, their policies as well. So there is this broader shift to the right. But again, whether that's... Um, um, uh, strategic, uh, we'll, we'll, we'll need to see. Um, of course, there have been calls for more rainbow coalitions between the more traditional parties uh, closer to the center. I, I want to ask both of you, we're in a time right now, of course, uh, when, when we witness what's going on, not just in Paris, uh, but obviously where we've seen you know, flare-ups you know, over you know, a variety of topics. But oftentimes, of course, the focus swim, swings to the suburbs. Of course, it, it swings to uh, disenfranchised communities, uh, communities that have not been brought along, whether we're in Rotterdam, uh, whether we're, we're, we're in Brussels, uh, and, and certainly everything we're seeing in France. And, and the topic always comes back to as well, you know, yes, the need for, for, for numbers and the need for people to, of course, uh, uplift uh, and support an economy, uh, especially because you're mentioning in, in, you would say, service sectors, and that service sector being could be construction, uh, it could be, yeah, service as we know it in day-to-day -day life, uh, whether it's restaurants, running airlines, etc. Um, and then, of course, it comes in, in line with, you know, assimilation, integration, which 
have also become lightning rod terms uh, as well that, uh, you know, at a time when everyone should express themselves, etc. Why should I really integrate? I should be my own person coming into this country. I should be able to have my own sense of self-determination. And I'm wondering if this is this is sort of, you know, it's 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 language which is sort of swept to the side. Um, it's sort of seen as being incendiary right now. Um, but if we look at Switzerland, for example, the notion of, of integration is very important to be able to, to learn a language. Of course, if you're going to learn a language, it helps you get on, of course, the job ladder. Um, and, and, and we don't have this issue then as, and this is of course what you know, many parties will use here and elsewhere, that we have this emergence of, of parallel societies. Um, and I'm wondering, are these terms, integration and assimilation, are, are they being too politicized when in fact, it's, you know, many would argue it's what helps society move forward and, and of course, uh, have a more harmonious society. Yeah, of course, that's the dilemma. I mean, this mi migration question is very central. On the one hand, you you have at the moment the people coming from, from, from Africa over the, the Mediterranean. We had this terrible catastrophe uh, near Greece. And uh, so the, the topic is very much in, f in focus again. And uh, the politicians, of course, particularly the right-wing politicians, they use this, this, this crisis to for, for the forthcoming election that's the one side on the other hand you as, as you said we have these problems within the economy and then uh, the, the colleague uh, who wrote the story in this uh, and said i'm sontaka uh, i mentioned before he tells the story of um, of a cafe in zurich and then somebody <laughs> ordered a cup of coffee cafe creme in switzerland and uh, he got just uh, an english answer and the the waiter or the waitress i don't uh, they didn't know how to to answer in, in German and so uh, that these people then got annoyed because he is not served in, in German or at, uh, at Swiss German or at least in, in in German on the other hand the same people uh, say oh I travel to London I travel to New York and uh, I'm talking English the whole day <laughs> it, it's some I, it has to do with identity at the end of the day uh, I think people want to identify with, with the place where they live and uh, but it, it's getting more difficult because uh, we are in, in, in a quite um, historic movement. Uh, everything changes and um, people are coming. The economy needs people, needs new uh, employees, but uh, every, you can't have everything. No. Um, I want to bring in, uh, uh, I want to bring in Andrew Tuck, uh, our editor-in-chief uh, in London uh, this morning. Good morning, Andrew. Good morning, Tyler. Uh, it's uh, it's interesting watching this. Uh, what's been unfolding in, in France, Andrew, because it reminds us of of us sitting uh, at at Midori House in many summers ago. Now, of course, uh, when we had you know the flare ups, you know, also also in London, and just from a maybe a British media perspective, uh, how how has the story been covered? Because, it, of course, I've been monitoring the UK press, and it, it is remarkable how it has really become a. a a lead story. I mean, even in papers which are traditionally much more domestic focus, um, because this is again, um, as the crow flies, it's it's very close. Um, and I guess there is, of course, the the contagion issue that comes with uh, with these types of of, of of uprisings as well. Yeah, I, I think that the the papers here in in the UK are reflecting whether this is a a George Floyd moment or not. And actually, some commentators saying today, look, don't try and import. The problems in in many american cities and just try and overlay that on what's happening in paris that actually the story is more complicated and and it's it's its own story but the papers here of course are also divided uh, along traditional political lines and 
And then again, you can't quite believe it, but even I think Brexit comes into it a little bit because when you look at the papers on the right, they are very keen to point out, look, this is you know, the Europe that was being held up to us as an example of integration and of, uh, of liberal values and that supposedly Britain had veered to the right. And here we have a peaceful summer in the UK while, while the French are, are suffering because they have been too tolerant of, of all of these things going on. So you can read the papers on the right or the left to decide what's happening. But I do think it's a fair point that actually, you know, that we, we, we latch onto these one examples of like George Floyd and then that, that becomes a template to what we, we expect to happen in these events. But it may be even people in the, the French political system are a little bit nervous of that. They, they, they've seen that the consequences of those things if you, don't, if you don't act carefully. And I guess the other thing that's in the papers today is, is a suggestion you know, that perhaps you know, the Macron and the government don't quite, didn't quite know what to do at the beginning because they, wanted, they didn't want to be seen to come in heavy with the police force because they thought it would make things even more combustible. And in fact, by standing back there, they allowed the, the flames to be fanned in a way. And now today we have statements from the police force saying, you know, this is a, this is a war, we're being pitted into this, you know, uh, we're not, we don't have the back of, backing of government either. So even when, the, when it settles a bit, and hopefully in the coming days, it, it, it seems from the UK papers as an expectation that this will not be the end of it. Mm, uh, Emily, your your daily job is is that of conflict uh, resolution and and mediation. And, and of course, here you have you have punters, you have analysts, you have a variety of people, of course, talking about uh, what is unfolding in France. Uh, and and of course, yes, uh, everyone, uh, you know, you have to look back for a reference point. Uh, but this is no easy fix. Uh, and of course, we've we've even seen under, of course, um, you know, Macron, sort of uh, administration number one. Uh, this uh, you know potential spend to of course you know upgrade the banlieue to to bulldoze uh, whole housing estates to to really you know lift things up. Mm. Also, how do you spread communities um, and, and make things a little bit more diffuse as well? So um, this this is not this is not a fix for you know between now and September. We're talking about something which is generational. Absolutely, and and that's what I uh, think is fascinating about some of the responses that have been offered on on different sides of, on on the political spectrum to um, at this issue in Paris, but also um, uh, broader issues with integration or lack thereof. Um, so on the one hand, you of course have those who call for essentially more security, more police on the streets, um, and a kind of a tougher stance on that side, more regulation, more uh, policing of uh, people who move to um, uh, Europe. On the other hand, if you think about what integrates people it's as you mentioned learning the language uh, finding a community getting a good education that allows you to pay taxes to uh, make a living uh, in the country that you've chosen to move to and what are those and uh, the solutions to that is actually investment in education in investment in a language education which doesn't happen overnight and it's a long-term process um, so while in the immediate in terms of a situation like in Paris you might need some more kind of security driven solutions for the immediate solution or situation in the long run uh, you do need to look at the kind of root causes of the problem if you will, to use uh, another terminology, and invest in those government uh, policies that help people, including um, people who haven't migrated to the country, uh, to go up the socioeconomic ladder and make a living and and, and kind of make a, a improve their lives, um, so to say. And, and that goes to education again, language, employment opportunities. Um, so it's definitely a long-term process. Well, as I said at the top, uh, we'd be going to Paris, and indeed that's where we're heading uh, right now. Uh, Florence Biedermann, 
uh, is, uh, is standing by there, regular, uh, of course, contributor to, to Monocle Radio, uh, and also a, a political analyst, uh, also a former editor-in-chief for Agence France Presse as well. Good morning. Good morning. Uh, Rose, maybe just um, bring us up to speed. Uh, we heard overnight uh, that, of course, uh, it was it was a slight, slightly uh, calmer uh, evening. We've uh, we've heard from certainly uh, the interior uh, minister and ministry uh, that uh, that things seem to have, have calmed down. I'm not sure if that was a bit of rain overnight uh, in France as well, uh, which which might have helped uh, the security services. Uh, but but how do things uh, feel now that we're moving into five days on? Yeah, indeed. I mean, it seems that it's a bit more calm, uh, at least in the two biggest cities, uh, Lyon and Marseille, where it was uh, uh, pretty uh, violent uh, and busy, let's say, uh, the night before. So there was still uh, some like 700 of arrests. Uh, but the police has been really reinforced. Uh, there are still like more than 40,000 police all over the country. And especially in, in the uh, flashpoints, they, they, they have reinforced the, the local forces in New and Marseille. So it was definitely more quiet uh, if you compare with the, the previous night. So you can think it will go on, like uh, the violence would go on decreasing, but nobody, of course, can, can say uh, that uh, uh, and be sure of it. Andrew was just saying a little bit earlier, reflecting on, of course, the tone that the British papers uh, are taking. But uh, if if someone is uh, looking at, uh, you know, whether it's, it's what the Figaro is saying uh, uh, or what Le Monde is reporting, um, etc., what what is what is the the mood and and I would say certainly the the narrative uh, because we we saw, of course, uh, Macro government. You know, uh, there was maybe a little bit of hesitation, uh, but of course, the police have come in very hard. There certainly is a very sort of strong narrative, actually, from both Le Monde and, and the Figaro, a little bit sort of, you know, left and right, uh, just the need for rule of law that, of course, what happened um, is not acceptable uh, in terms of the shooting, but at the same time to to go and pillage cities, uh, no, no one wins in all of this uh, as well. There seems to be certainly a, agreement around that. Uh, but what, what is the mood of the French press? Well, as you said, like there, there is this kind of left and right vision of things. Uh, I, I would tend to think everybody thinks the lootings are unacceptable, whether you are right or left, you know. But of course, a newspaper like Le Monde will insist more on the social uh, roots of the problem. We'll, uh, we'll have maybe more interviews with, with the, the people who are, uh, you know, living in those banlieues and trying to explain why they reach such uh, a degree of rage and anger, whereas uh, Le Figaro will tend more to say, whatever happens, uh, this is not acceptable and there should be more police. And uh, you probably heard that uh, the Conservative Party, Les Républicains, asked for the state of emergency to be imposed from the start, which is obviously something very heavy-handed than Macron, uh, the French president, doesn't want to resort to, hoping that uh, the violence will, will decrease. Of course, you've been an observer of uh, flare-ups uh, across both the, the political, the economic, and the social uh, spectrum uh, in in France. Uh, and we can we can think back to to Gilets Jaunes. We can think back to the, the protests of, of course, uh, around uh, certainly retirement and pension reform a, f- a few months ago um, as well. Also, you know, vi- violent flare-ups, uh, of course, with with different uh, causes. Uh, do, you know. And not that we can do crystal ball gazing, uh, but 
you know, again, what we've sort of been reading um, on the French news wires this morning is maybe after four or five days that, you know, you know both sides in, in, in many ways, because it was very intense, there is the sense of fatigue um, as well. Is it too early to call whether this, uh, this starts to calm down? Uh, and does it, this, and does it move into a, a, a phase of, of, of dialogue and, uh, and, and certainly policy review, um, certainly over the coming weeks? Of course, knowing that also uh, you have Bastille Day coming up as well. And then, of course, uh, and then France goes into to recess for the month of August. Yeah, um, well, you know, th there is difference in this flare-up if you compare with one that was at similar uh, causes in, in France in 2005. Uh, now, this time, uh, the, uh, Macron was really uh, quick to react and say that it was uh, unacceptable that a, a, a young uh, teenager had been killed by the police, you know, which was not the case in, in previous incidents of that kind. And uh, the police who apparently, according to a video you see on social media, has, has been uh, shot uh, the youngsters, has been remanded in custody and uh, is under uh, official investigation for uh, voluntary murder, you know. So uh, I think this is a powerful element in, in, in the story because it shows that the state and the government has understood very quickly that there was a, a problem with the, with the policing, you know, and it's showing to, to the people that uh, uh, there is something wrong. So I think it's one element that, that will, I hope, and, and, and think contribute to uh, the fact that uh, those riots won't last that that long, you know. I mean, let's see. Of course, they won't stop from one day to the other. But you you, you mentioned the fatigue, and uh, yes, somehow you know now the looting has become something uh, nobody can accept. Uh, lots of people involved are very young, you know. Uh, according to the Interior Ministry, a third of the people arrested, of the thousand of people arrested, were underage, you know. So. Uh, it's it's not an organized movement. It's it's not a structured movement. So somehow, yes, uh, there is a hope. Uh, there will be now time for for justice to 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 go on and uh, for uh, maybe not uh, immediately a dialogue, but uh, at least uh, more more peace and, and quiet to think about what's to be done next. Andrew, I just want to uh, bring you back in on this because uh, Florence mentions, uh, of course, the word the word dialogue, and it's been interesting to watch maybe over the last or, or and listen over the last forty eight hours as well because you've also had uh, the French government also uh, really bringing the likes of, of TikTok, uh, Twitter, um, and and Snapchat others uh, to task as well. That they're saying this is, this makes also this flare very different if we look back to to the early two thousands in France because of the power of social. Media. So oftentimes, you know, we're there to also, you know, look at the tone, um, the editorial, the the opinions that might come from the likes of the Journal du Manche to Figaro, um, uh, Le Monde, etc. Um, but but also, sort of the first time as well that you've you've really, I've in, at least in recent memory, we're talking about sort of newish channels as well that the government said. You, you have a role in also, you know, making sure that you're taking and dealing with disinformation, um, hate speech, um, etc. This seems to mark a bit of a new, a new territory as well. I agree with you, but I think the the problem is you know, that putting the blame towards TikTok and these organisations is you know they they certainly have a responsibility about what they disseminate, 
But in the in the very fractured and and febrile world of French politics, you just have to see what the 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 politicians on the right are saying, what Le Pen is saying. They're describing this as a civil war. They're 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 calling people to take a position. That there's there's so much information coming from the the, the French uh, political system that is 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 incendiary in itself. That it makes it impossible for these organisations to filter all of that out. But I agree with you. And the, and the trouble with these clips that go around is, you, you know, you see a second, and that second begins to define the story. And it does look terrible what you see on the video. But we don't have the context. We ha- where there hasn't been a sober moment to ask what happened in the run up and afterwards. It looks like terrible, terrible policing, and probably was. But we still need to have some something that t- is a bit more sober and contemplative at the end of it. But I do think it's very difficult when you have people really embedded in the French establishment who are doing their best to make sure that this does remain an angry issue. And on on that topic, as, as Andrew said, you know, when you have you know so many voices, you know, on on the right, uh, of course, uh, who who have very good media machines. Um, around them uh you know again we, we look at uh, of course government going into uh, into holiday mode uh qu- quite soon but do we have uh at least a couple of weeks of uh you know certainly not not even just uh, soul searching but you know policy review um and and again listen you know it, it only takes a hot summer um it only takes you know not even an incident uh, uh, you know in terms as severe as what happened on tuesday uh for things to uh, of course swing in the wrong direction again um from a political establishment and and i guess sort of media perspective as well uh what happens in this maybe one month window that we have well, you, I, I have to stress that uh, the, the answer of the government was uh, pretty strong, you know, like uh, they, they didn't impose the state of emergency, which the, the right uh, asked for, but uh, they have been, uh, they have deployed thousands of police, armored vehicle, uh, helicopter, you know, it, it's not that they, they reacted in a soft way. So now the the answer to 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 the riots has been extremely strong and uh, as we can see efficient. So uh, I, I wouldn't think that uh, again like this uh, this uh, uh, this is going to to last too long because because of this very firm uh, reaction uh, because of the deployments of thousands of police because. Uh, Thousands of uh, protesters have already been judged, you know, in court, so in uh, immediate uh, judging. So, you know, there is this very firm response, which, again, uh, whatever uh, uh, you think on the left or on the right of the cause of the problem, uh, nobody disagrees with the fact that uh, it has to be to be, you know, uh, firmly uh, handed, which Macron is doing right now. Um, Andrew, just before we head back to London, uh, well, of course, where you are at the moment, but uh, we're just a little bit late for the news. But I just wanted to to uh, bring you back in on this topic. It's been also a, a, kind of a fascinating moment to uh, to listen to um, the needs of the the mayors, the heads of prefectural governments um, in in France as well, because oftentimes, you know, this you know we know it's it's it's, it's a it's a monopole nation, the power that Paris has within France. Uh, but it, you know, whether we've been listening to the mayor of Grenoble, whether we've been listening to the mayor of, of Lyon, you've also felt this sense as well, uh, which is which is another track, which is let's not just focus. Okay, this happened on, in Nanterre. This is you know we were in the western suburbs of, of Paris, but also. 
Let's bring a spotlight back to to Marseille. Of course, Macron was uh, was was there this week as well. So, has there also been a, a bit of a, a new urbanism agenda as well that that this started to also I think serve the needs of other cities that were not solely focused on Paris all the time. Well, I think it's interesting that you and we're all a little bit guilty of it. You know, when you you look at the the change that's being wrought in our cities, you you tend to focus on what's happening in the the hearts of our capitals. And there the story becomes, you know, the standoff or not between bicycle lanes and making a more walkable city about the the need for more parks and for spaces of leisure. But when you see these issues erupting, you begin to see that although those make nice headlines and are, are great for the city and and much needed, that often it blankets the fact that out in these second tier cities, in third tier cities, that there can be real social issue problems which just don't get onto the agenda because they're not cute and they're not pretty and they don't provide nice images for the front pages of newspapers or the third pages of newspapers. So I think whatever's happened over these last few days, I think you will see a a bit of a a shift again back to what's happening in in the Banlieue, in in these second tier cities. And again, here at at Monocle, we've we've gone to see many of the projects that have happened in, in poorer communities. You know, we know that the, the the French president's wife has has been working with this organisation to do look at education, for example, for people who are older, uh, who have fallen outside of the education system in in many of these poorer neighbourhoods. So it's not that nothing is happening, but maybe they need those stories need to be both uh, amplified so that people understand that there is an an attempt to address many of these social issue problems and just more of them, because uh, we, if we focus too much on, as you say, the, the prettification and the the preparation of Paris for the Olympics, we, we, we risk not telling other people's stories. Andrew, um, we'll catch up with you. Uh, we'll see you in, uh, in Geneva uh, on, on Tuesday, or Andrew Tuck uh, in London. Uh, just, uh, Florence, just uh, last word to you uh, in, in, in Paris. Uh, this, this idea of, um, of maybe bigger share of voice uh, for, for the rest of the country as well, uh, where the spotlight moves away from Paris. Of course, it's an age, it's an age old story. And, you know, the second and the third city in France, and where, where is their their voice? Um, but do you do you feel you could say maybe a bit of positive amplification out of this, not just in terms of, of course, what this means uh, from a social point of view, but also where these cities sit economically, um, and, and how they're they're viewed from uh, the Elysee? Well, I'm not sure it's a problem of centralism in uh, of Paris, you know, because uh, the main problem is in the Paris suburbs. Uh, so now that there is, again, things are done. There is an attempt to create some kind of a big Paris that would also enlarge it to the suburbs so that uh, the population in the suburb have the feeling to, to, to belong to, to, to the same uh, city somehow. So uh, the problem is more the problem of the suburbs, whether it's in Paris or, uh, or in other city. And uh, yes, I agree that there should be more amplification of what's going on in the suburbs. Uh, what is really sad somehow is that uh, you heard about them and you ask yourself all this question, why, how, etc. Each time there is a flare-up, but between two flare-ups, I mean, you have uh, uh, you have not much. Uh, uh, you don't know what's what's going on. You, you don't know what's people's lives. You, you don't know what are the positive, nothing. Nobody's just interested in it. Uh, and yeah, you can, you can hope it will change, but uh, that's uh, the way the media goes sometimes, you know. You have to really bring uh, news that uh, uh, are from the capital city and not from uh, the periphery. Let, let, let's hope it can change also uh, at this level. 
Florence Biedemann uh, in Paris, uh, our contributor and analyst there. Thank you very much for that. A little bit late getting back to London uh, for the news. I hope Emma Nelson is still there. Thank you very much indeed, Tyler. I am. Hundreds of people have been arrested during a fifth night of violence in France, although there are reports that the situation was slightly calmer last night. The worst clashes were in the southern city of Marseille. The Ukrainian war is having a corrosive effect on Vladimir Putin's leadership of Russia. That's according to the head of the CIA. William J. Burns said Russian disaffection over the war is providing new opportunities for the CIA to collect intelligence. A new cable car that allows non-skiers to cross between Switzerland and Italy near to the Matterhorn has gone into service. The operator Matterhorn Zermatt Bergbahnen says the new service enables the highest altitude border crossing in the Alps. And crowds of angry hormonal geese have been reported causing trouble for the residents in the UK city of Manchester. Every year, Castlefield experiences a natural phenomenon as geese give birth to countless goslings. But residents near to the River Irwell are chased and hissed by protective parental birds. Locals report delays to their journeys, interrupted driving lessons and attacks on their pets. One man has decided to carry a harmonica to stop the geese from biting his Jack Russell dog. Those are the headlines here in London. Back to you, Tyler, in Zurich. And headlines from Manchester as well. There's maybe um, also a bit of a surge in goose curry um, as well. My goodness, I don't know if you can catch them. I mean, frankly, having you seen a little bit of the pictures, you can imagine you're going on your way to work or whatever whatever business you're engaged in, and you, you turn a corner, and before you know it, you have a sea of angry, grey faces all ready to sort of put you off. It could it could really put you off your stride and I wouldn't dare think about going for a run or anything but goose curry, well, catch them and kill them first. I would, yeah. I'd, I'd, I'd probably go to the shop. Before. One of Canada's worst ever exports. <laughs> <laughs> I have to say. And we should just uh, maybe change tack for, uh, for, for a moment. Uh, mm. We're, we're going to be doing a very special edition of Monocle on Sunday. Uh, is it a first ever that uh, we'll be in the same room? Uh, not not first ever, but th- certainly doing this program uh, that I will be here. Uh, you'll also be doing the news from Zurich uh, next week as well. No, I think, if memory serves me right, that we have done it once before and we had a phone in. And we had a live oh, phone that's right, in. We did. That's it. Yeah. So although I wasn't on air very much, there was quite a lot of toing and froing and a lot of handwritten notes yes. and trying to and trying to get live phone ins. Are, are we thinking of something similar for next Sunday? Could be. I, I've set the challenge with, <laughs> okay. with Desi. We're going to try to get your, your all of your favorite guests around the table uh, here as well uh, next next weekend. Now, just Christoph, we've got a story here, and, and I don't know whether we should sign you up because we've got you up for a full almost 96 hours in Switzerland next week. Are, are, you up for, are you up for the Bergbahnen and a very expensive Bergbahnen trip? Because, Christoph, you, you've pulled the story up, so uh, yeah. maybe you can also mm. secure tickets for Emma as well. Yeah, it, it costs a little bit. It's one way. It's uh, 156 Swiss francs. Uh, I mean, which is like the cost of, I mean... Uh, we know that air travel is quite expensive, but I think if you it's get air if you, traveling, actually, but if you well, it is air travel. And I think if you get on sort of the Wizz Air or EasyJet web websites, maybe you can find chip, trips that cheap this summer. But yeah, it, even an, uh, um, a helicopter flight is is less expensive around Matterhorn, and uh, it's one way. It's from from Zermatt to uh, Germania. It's yeah. one hundred and fifty. Uh, six francs I've just read, and uh, b- uh, both ways it's about some something about two hundred francs. And uh, of course, I mean the Swiss, the Swiss invest again. Let's say uh, in 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 their uh, in, in in the cable cars in the mountains. This 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 uh, cable car is a gondola, and they, they do it in Samat, They do it in Titlis area, and of course uh, Jungfrau, top of Europe. 
And uh, you also see, of course, the, the usual criticism of it. The, they talk about over-tourism or Alpine Disneyland, and uh, but it's it's a very um, yeah, it's a, it's very special, and uh, I'm sure it's a fantastic view of Matterhorn. You have within this uh, cable car, but uh, I mean they focus on on rather rich guests, and I'm quite sure a Swiss family, four or five people, cannot cannot afford. Yeah, this gets yeah. pricey, Emma. Sh so should we should we sign you up? Well, um, I've just checked the weather. <laughs> 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 Within the mist, it wouldn't be. <laughs> wouldn't uh, make a lot, a lot of sense. It's, yeah. it's currently zero, but that's yeah. not worrying because we'll be inside the gondola. Uh, Friday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, which is when I'm in town, uh, maximum of nine overcast okay. and rain. So we can make a decision on the day, obviously. Yes. Um, it's also well, who said it, I'm joining, or you can make a decision. We, it sounds like you're pulling me in on this. I don't know. <laughs> group, Emily, are you trip. are you up for this? Are you, are you interested in crossing the uh, the the frontier <laughs> between Switzerland and Italy? Maybe with Emma as well. <laughs> uh, I'll join Emma if it's a monocles bill. Uh, yeah, yeah, I think Emma can squeeze it through on expenses. It's Checked fine. it out before, yeah. Um, the more the merrier. Apparently, it's not just one cable car, not what, not just one cable. Apparently, you make several changes, which I found quite yeah. reassuring because stringing one between the two destinations will probably take quite. Well, the Swiss could do it in no, a no, sleep. No, you have to, you have to change a lot, uh, many times, and you can take a cup of coffee up on Little Matterhorn, and then you can take the whole day for this for this trip. Of course, but she only has ninety six hours, Christoph. So. <laughs> <laughs> Okay. I'll bring my waterproofs. <laughs> okay, listen, I mean, I mean we, well, maybe in about uh, nine, nine or ten minutes' time, uh, we're going to also be talking about Zurifest as well. So they wouldn't want you. Uh, and we just found out as well, there's the, well, we'll come back to this debate, that we, we, we did claim it is the biggest folk festival uh, in, in Switzerland, but it turns out that the, that the town of, or city of Baden has something to say about that. But, uh, but we, can dis we can discuss that. Yeah, uh, yeah, it's kind of disputed, let's say. Yeah, so we'll, we'll, we can, we can, I mean, you, you go and, and plan your trip. We'll, we'll come back to you a little bit later in the program and, and see if, uh, if Zurifash sounds uh, interesting for you or not. I can't wait, although I can't wait to hear the argument about who has a bigger folk, folk festival. That's <laughs> that's, that, that runs into the category of very Swiss topics. Indeed. <laughs> it's uh, just gone 15. 1942 uh, in, in Bangkok. It's 1042 here in Zurich. Uh, but it means it's also 1742, uh, a late Sunday afternoon in Tokyo, where we're heading there uh, now to speak to our bureau chief there, uh, Fiona Wilson. Good afternoon, Fiona. Hi, Tyler. Uh, tell us, uh, set the scene for us. Uh, Tokyo, rainy season over-ish? Because uh, it's sort of, everyone said it maybe arrived a little bit early and, and you got out of it early or, or, are, you, or are you still in it? Well, I don't know. It's really hard to say. Today has been so boiling. Uh, you know, I had a quick look at my phone. 34 degrees, really sunny, feels quite dry. Yesterday, overcast, a bit misty. I don't know. I think we're still in the middle of rainy season. Until NHK announces it's over, I'm, I'm assuming we're still in it. Well, as you said, listen, uh, incredibly, uh, well, not incredibly, but high temperatures, mid-30s. And, you know, of course, at this time of year, with a thousand percent humidity in Tokyo um, as, as well. Well, for, first question, um, has this put the tourists off? Because we were chatting last time, amazing. How many Americans, how many Aussies, uh, Chinese tourists not quite back yet, uh, but certainly loads of European tourists. So despite the heat um, and the, and let's say the seasoned experts knowing you don't go to Tokyo um, in the summertime, uh, is it uh, still queues of people at, uh, at Camelback Coffee around the corner from us? Yes, it certainly is. I think the message about not coming in June doesn't seem to have uh, got through. But one thing I do notice is that Tokyo people stay at home more. So when it's really hot, like today, it slightly feels, you know, like if there was a deluge, 
uh, people treat it in the same way. They just don't go out that much. So I noticed the park's pretty quiet. The street, I'm actually in the office today. It's it's pretty quiet out on the street today. I think people are, are staying at home. And what does that mean uh, for, uh, of course, uh, yeah, the various energy companies uh, that have to keep all of the uh, the Mitsubishi and, and Daikin air conditioners uh, going? Um, I, I understand there is a bit of a um, a power supply issue. Yeah, well, since yesterday, it may, may have been news to many people in Tokyo, but it, it turns out we are now in a sort of power conservation period until August. I mean, the, the concern is supplies are pretty low and it, they've worked out you need a supply, a reservoir, it's a reservoir, about 3%. You need that in reserve to manage, change, you know, if it gets very hot and everyone starts whacking up the air conditioning, you need 3%. And they think supplies are going to be about 3.1% of a reserve. So it's getting to very, very fine. So since yesterday, everyone, you know, households, businesses, we are all supposed to be uh, in full uh, cool biz, as they call it here, don't have the air conditioner unless you need it. And when you have it, they 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 like it as as you know twenty eight degrees, um, which as you know that's not that cold, is it? So, but they they don't want it lower than twenty eight degrees. Now, and as as we well know from going to to many a meeting um, in in Tokyo, you're sort of sort of wondering, did I do like a, a hard left into into the gym or something like that? Because um, it, it it is odd uh, how how to and and also how toasty it can be, but also just how different Japan is from you know if you go to a meeting or if you're in a hotel room in Hong Kong or uh, if you're in Taipei, uh, that, that that the Japanese have a very different approach to also uh, what they think a cool room is. Yeah, totally. I mean. You know what it's like here. If you go into uh, particularly public offices, government offices, they really have to show that they're adhering to cool biz. 28 degrees. So you go in and you go into these long meetings and it's quite hard to stay awake, isn't it? Because you're feeling a bit overheated. Um, so, yeah, but I mean, you know, honestly, I sometimes find in, in the other places you've mentioned, you go in and it's freezing. You know, you need to take your woolies with you. So I don't know, maybe a happy medium would be ideal. Uh, just uh, n- another story out of Japan, uh, which you picked up on, which it- it's good news uh, if you are uh, doing maybe foreign affairs studies, uh, if you want to be on the fast track to being a Japanese uh, diplomat. And I think in many corners of the world, not such a bad gig. Japan is not one of those countries which has gone and sold off its amazing residences and fantastic embassies. It has uh, incredible missions around the world. And it seems that the foreign ministry, they're looking for a few more diplomats, aren't they? Yeah, that's right. So they've announced that they want to beef up the foreign office. They want to have 20% more diplomats. They've got like six and a half thousand at the moment. They want at least 8,000 by 2030. So yeah, they're looking to recruit and they've said they want mid-career. It's not just young recruits. They want specialists. They want linguists. So yeah, there's going to be a big recruitment drive. I think they realise they've really fallen behind uh, their G7 partners, um, you know, who generally have uh, they're more at the 8,000 plus level. So I think they've realized, you know, they've really got to to step up. And, and, and you know, they're always talking about this complex security environment that Japan is currently in uh, regionally, i.e. China. So, um, they, they, you know, they've really got to face that reality as well, I think. And, and do you think this is, uh, I would imagine, with, with a focus, of course, 
on on the main capitals uh, where they have uh, their 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 tightest allies. But also, is this to play a game? Um, and it really is a game against China, where, of course, China is trying to win votes and, and favor on remote Pacific islands, etc. So do you think this also means that we're going to see um, more, more Japanese diplomats uh, you know, popping up in these places you know, where, where China has done a very good job? They've left it wide open for everybody. No one's been paying, paying attention to, uh, to many of these uh, you know, micro-sized states. Um, and, and also, you know, probably what does this mean for Japan and Africa, where Japan you know, is doing a lot of development work uh, in, in the region? Uh, you know, we were in West Africa recently. It was incredible to see you know, how many big projects uh, have a Japanese government signed. This project is supported by the government of Japan. Uh, so, is that part of the play? Does it say where they where they want to be deploying these diplomats? I mean, definitely, absolutely. This is playing catch up with China, and I noticed they weren't completely specific, but Indo-Pacific was mentioned and Pacific Islands, exactly as you say, where. China's really storming ahead diplomatically and many countries in the region have been, you know, caught off guard and, and they're trying to scramble to catch up. So, yeah, I think we're going to see a lot more Japanese diplomats um, in this region and I would expect in Africa. I think one of the things they really notice is that although they have a lot of missions, they, they're often quite small. So I think it's also about strengthening existing missions, um, you know, and, and, and putting more staff into the ones that are already there. And Fiona, just before we go, just uh, heading back out uh, on, on, onto the street uh, in, in the heat of, uh, of certainly the, the summer period, how is the, the government, uh, and, and I'm thinking of sort of, you know, Japan tourism as well, sort of feeling about forward bookings in, into August? Of course, they move into the autumn period, uh, changing, changing leaves, uh, and of course, uh, a drop in, in temperature um, as well. You, there's been so much uh, focus around the need for this, uh, this bounce back, and, and certainly it, it is is happening but uh, does it seem to be sustained and of course we know that this 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 swings in multiple directions uh, because now i've seen that the that the the japanese government also want to focus on national parks now to get foreigners to you know to maybe it's also just get giving some relief to the cities as well okay let, let's get them let's sort of truck them all up into the mountains and and, and put them elsewhere yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, you know, you've been here, you've seen there are so many people here, you really get the sense that in the COVID era, everyone was dreaming of coming to Japan, it seems they've all come. Um, and, you know, we don't even have like huge numbers, say, of Chinese tourists yet, you know, that will come. Yeah, I think looking ahead, I, honestly, I think it's been more than Tokyo, for example, can cope with. I think it's been a bit of a shock to the system. Hotels are absolutely full to bursting. Everyone's talking about price increases of hotels. So it has been quite a difficult time, I think, for tourism. And you're right. What they want to do is to get people out of the cities and, and spread that, that money into the regions. I think that's the real focus. And there's so much of Japan that people don't see. You know, And, and I know this personally. So many people come here and they will go to maybe three or four of the same places. Um, and we know all these wonderful places they could be going so yeah i think and i think national parks that's a, that's a massive part of japan this huge open space that maybe people don't uh, really know about yet fiona wilson our bureau chief uh, in tokyo joining us from um our lovely little studio in tomigai you're listening to monocle on sunday just gone 10 51 here in zurich we're going away for a very short break when we come back we're going to be talking about zurifest the Monocle Cafe on Chiltern Street in London is open now for indoor drinking and dining, so why not pop in and grab a table? While you're there, be sure to browse our pop-up Monocle shop. And don't forget happy hour every day from 1600 to 1900. 
Stop by for a beer, cocktail, or a glass of wine. We'd love to see you. And you're back with Monocle on Sunday with me, Tyler Brule. Uh, also, Emily Isao is here and uh, Christoph Munger as well. Any desire to go to uh, to Japan uh, summer, um, sweat it out, or maybe you want to go a little bit later? Would you, would no, you? Not this summer. I'm looking forward to travel to Argentina. Okay, Argentina this summer, though? This, uh, yeah, yeah. We are flying within the autumn, of course. Of course. <laughs> okay, very good. Uh, Emily, any, any exotic travel, or is it only gets as exotic as northern Finland, maybe? Uh, well, this summer it's Sweden, D- uh, Denmark, and Finland. But I, actually, I was just at a farewell party for a friend who was moving to Japan for a year um, uh, last Friday. As a diplomat? No, not as a diplomat. <laughs> right. I think it's fascinating, this story, though. I mean, this, Absolutely. this and, you know, almost very positive if you're, yeah, if you, if you want to have a career as a charge d'affaires or whatever, to say that, wow, Japan is uh, is up 20%. Is, is that, that's a huge jump. I mean, it, you think about diplomats. Jump, and it's very much reversing the trend. A lot of other countries are closing down embassies, Embassy. um, cutting costs, Switzerland included. Um, so, I, as, a, as someone working in international affairs, I, I was very happy to hear that. Indeed. Uh, on uh, Let's swing it to, to a bit more of a, a domestic topic. Very local, uh, indeed. We're, we've been talking about uh, Zurifest for uh, most, uh, at least for the, the, well, from, from the start of the program. And I'm very happy to, uh, to say that uh, Jeanette Herzog uh, is here. She's the managing director uh, of Zurifest. The posters that are up, uh, the flags are waving uh, across bridges. Welcome. Uh, tell our listeners around the world what's going to happen later this week. Thank you. Thank you and welcome uh, Zurich to Zurifast and uh, we'll uh, give you some highlights, some information. Uh, um, we are ready, we are excited five days before, um, after four years, um, next Zurifast, next weekend. And, and what, what is the origin of, of this festival? Uh, how far does it go back and, and what's the meaning of it? So the first held Zurifast is in 1951 and in this current version um, with every three years it's since 1976. And uh, the the notion back if I go back to the 50s uh, post-war period was this was it a a tourism uh, play was it to get people to come to you know boost the economy uh, what was what was the thinking when they uh, yeah, when they first decided to, to launch the festival? So then it was um, when the city or the canton of Zurich, they had a festival like um, herself, like um, uh, Jubiläum, something like that. And now it's really also a an, an touristic um, event, but 75% is from Zurich and downtown or canton. So it's really uh, the Zurich is for Zurich. It is. But uh, at the same time, uh, of course, they, they want to have full hotel rooms as well. And as you said, okay, maybe people also have a late night. So maybe they don't even want to take the tram home. They want to stay in a, uh, in, in a hotel. But uh, is there a play as well, you know, at a time when cities are so competitive, uh, and, and we see that everyone is fighting for fame, whether it's Zurich versus Basel, uh, I don't know, Geneva versus St. Gallen, and, and and of course, beyond the borders, um, is there uh, also a desire to make this a little bit more famous internationally or as part of the policy to say, as you said, to really make this for the locals? Yeah. The Zurich Fest is for the locals, but we have um, a lot of time in 2019. We, we count Loschiernechte, uh, um, it was um, over 100,000. And I think it's also something for the tourists. And uh, uh, 
uh, yesterday I was downtown and I saw so many tourists already in Zurich, but the, I think that's the whole summer. So the tourists are back in Zurich and will enjoy the Zurich Fest as well. Okay, so uh, we know that uh, fireworks are, are, are always a part of this, at least the, the photos I've seen in, in the past. Also, we know fireworks have become a little bit political uh, as well. Give us five highlights. Uh, what's, what's going to happen uh, over the, the festival period? Okay, it starts already with a highlight. Um, Friday, 5 p.m., we start with a concert with uh, Mark Sway and the Stadtmusik Zürich. They prepared special um, uh, music for um, and the first concert. And then, of course, the fireworks three times every night. And uh, we also have the drone shows back with um, double of drones. So we have 300 drones flying over the lake. And I'm very excited for that. It's really um, a special thing we and do we also get? Uh, is, is, I've, I've, I've lost. I've been lost in the politics as well. Is there also a a fly past uh, as well? Patrouille Suisse. Uh, do they do they fly by this year or no? No, they, uh, they decided last summer not to do it anymore. But we have um, a lot of other highlights, and I think it's um, a great, great uh, Zurifash. Um, Zurifash highlights uh, that you've had experience in the past, Emily. Um, sorry, only only, only 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 decent ones, please. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> we'll share the other ones after after the show. Um, no, I was, I've been there once in 2019, maybe three highlights. First one is just to see a different side to Zurich. It's a bit like street parade, um, these big events. The streets are full, but it's also very family friendly, I would, I, I would argue. Um, second, uh, it was interesting, kind of a juxtaposition. There were a few DJs just by Grossmünster, the cathedral. So it was interesting listening to very nice music and dancing overlooking uh, the Grossmünster. And then the beach volley, I'm not sure if they will be there this year, but the tournament of beach volley was taking place in the part yeah, of the city. They're, yeah, they're back, really, wonderful. Yeah. So mm -hmm. that's a very high energy mm -hmm. event to go to as well. Christoph, any highlights for you? Yeah, I mean, the, the, the nicest thing was to, to see the, the, the city from a different point of view. You have all everywhere these, these restaurants on the streets, there's dancing in the streets, and uh, you have all these different stands. And uh, I'm proud to say that for the first time, Tagesanzeiger will be present with a stand near Berkeley yeah, Platz. Pushing, pushing, pushing subscriptions, which is good. <laughs> just, very, just very quickly, because we're, we're, we're almost out of time. In 20 seconds or less, there, there is a debate, though. There's between Baden and who, who's got the biggest folk festival? Yeah, I mean, the, 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 the Badenfahrt is definitely the older one. It, it reminds of the first train ride from in Switzerland. It was from, from Zurich to Baden. The Protestants in Zurich came to Baden, which is Catholic, to, to party. And uh, this big, big uh, party, about 10 days, uh, is also, it's something else. It's, it's something, something, else. Di something yeah, different, yeah. completely different. But uh, also, the, it's very much for the locals, but everywhere, not only from Zurich, uh, they come to Baden to party during 10 days. In August, in August, actually. And as you said, it's more family friendly. It's not as crazy as, uh, as Love Parade, is it? No. No, no, no. It's a folk festival, but I love uh, street parade too. But it's it's different. Okay. Right. Hopefully, hopefully the lake will be more swimmable afterwards. We're gonna have, <laughs> we're gonna have to to leave it there. Emily Zo, Christoph Moore, Emma Nelson, of course, back in London. Fiona Wilson, also uh, Jeanette Herzog, and of course, we were joined a little bit earlier by Florence uh, Biedemann, uh, bringing us up to date on everything that was happening in Paris. Today's show was produced by Desiree Bendley and also uh, Emma Nelson, and of course, we had Steph Chunglu looking after the audio back in London. Emma Nelson's going to be here next week. We're going to do a very special edition of Monocle on Sunday here from Dufostrasse 90. Till then, have a very good week and uh, we'll be chatting more next week. Goodbye.